I'm Emma Louise Coffey and you're welcome to The Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. With cows currently hitting their highest level of milk production, dairy specialist Joe Patton explains what nutrition we need to offer to support cows at peak. And I first asked Joe about the key drivers of peak milk production in spring calving dairy herds. At the moment, Emma-Louise, um, like every other year, there's a big range, but um, I suppose some of the top performing herds at the moment are probably sitting somewhere around 2.3, 2.35 kilos of milk solids, kind of close to the 29 to 30 kilo mark in, in milk terms uh, with good solids. Then we have a lot of herds maybe sitting closer to the two kilos of milk solids range, something like that. So the, the range is kind of between two, 2.3 kilos of milk solids, and it's very variable, obviously, across herds. But I suppose what we're seeing more of in the last number of years is more herds pushing up closer to that, you know, over the 2.2, certainly in, in, in milk solids terms. So, look, just a, a, a kind of a, a nice rule of thumb around that, I suppose, is that you know, when you look at a lot of herds and, and see what, what does the peak, how does it relate to kind of um, production for the year, something around 230, 233 times peak will give you roughly what the herd is capable of for the year. So if you take a herd doing two, two kilos of milk solids at the moment, that translates into about 460 kilos of milk solids for the year. If they're doing sort of two point one five two point two kilos of milk solids that's probably closer to the 500 kilos of milk solids for the year and when you talk about you know naturally there is a range across herds but where you have a herd that's say peaked at 2.2 2.3 kilos of solids what sort of range are we seeing within that herd so how far are we going in terms of milk solids production in individual cows and, and by the same token you know how low are we seeing say in maybe the younger animals or you know the animals with lower solids percentages within within the individual herd at that level yeah look that's a, that that's a good question and i think it sometimes um it can be quite surprising given that we always talk about the average let's say the average herd doing 20 let's for yeah say that two, 29 liters or thereabouts 2.2 kilos of milk solids like there will be cows within that group um maybe some of the older mature cows will be up to sort of three kilos of milk solids within that um and maybe the heifers are probably back more sort of like something around 1.6 1.8 kilos of milk solids depending on where they're at uh, uh, you know so that would be the that would be the range so there's a there's quite a large range uh, within the herd and Louise that that's for sure but look at the, the herd you know the, the, in any herd doing sort of 28 29 liters you're going to have maybe 10% of the herd that are going to be sitting over the 35 kilo mark, which is bringing them up nearly into the three kilos of solids territory. And then looking at the key factors that will drive peak. So where where a herd is at 2.2 kilos of solids for peak, what are the drivers of that? Yeah, so the first thing to say, I suppose, is that um, we, we sometimes we think that it's entirely down to the to the genetic merit for, for milk production. And certainly genetics for milk has a, has, a, has a huge effect on that. It does set the... It does set the potential for sure. But where we're seeing really a lot of people winning out in the last number of years is principally that calving, control of calving pattern and getting more cows calved earlier, like say more cows calved and settled in the first six weeks, it leaves that, you know, those mature, particularly mature cows in those situations are really humming along at this point in the year now. So they've really got their, they've got their feet under them, if you like, and they're, they're pushing on very well, having settled in 
uh, calved since February. The second big thing that's making a big difference among a lot of herds is herd maturity, actually. Um, and I think that, you know, maybe over the last four or five years, as a lot of herds expanded rapidly, you, you would be looking and saying, you know, is, have these herds really got the milk yield potential behind them? But, you know, as we waited a couple of years and we've seen a lot of those herds come into maturity now and maybe fewer heifers coming through as a percentage of the total herd, certainly, you know, a herd that was doing sort of 440, 450 kilos of milk solids in the expansion phase are pretty much able to do over 500 kilos of milk solids now. Uh, at this stage, but they haven't changed their feeding regime really at all. It's really down to, to maturity. So look at the couple of things there is herd maturity, calving date, and then obviously um, diet as well and capacity for, 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 for good, good intakes of, of, of high quality pasture is a big one. So by the genetics does set the, the genetic merit for, for milk production does set the potential. It's the calving date or the calving compactness, I suppose, the herd maturity and the quality of pasture are the, are, thing, are the real three drivers of making sure that that potential is actually delivered. And, and your last point, we'll pick up on that, Joe. You mentioned diet and intake. Looking at, you know, the, the levels of milk production we're talking about, what is the energy or feed intake these cows require in order to support a high level of milk production? Okay, so like, yeah, okay, so really um, the, the, the real key... Uh, limit her from an from a from a diet point of view is is usually energy like in most cases with good quality pasture and a, and a moderate amount of supplementation in most cases we can meet the protein requirements of of the cow for for milk production generally speaking it's an energy question and louise and look um up at that sort of two point two five two point three kilos of milk solids you are talking about needing probably over 19 units of energy intake a day, 19 UFLs of, of energy intake. So while um, that's, that's, a, that's, a fairly significant, uh, that's a fairly significant number now and quite, quite a challenge to get that level of energy into the cow at, that, at this point of the year. But look, so we have to remember that it's, it's two factors really. It's not, just, um, it's not just the quality of the diet, the quality of the grass or the digestibility of the grass. It's also the intake capacity as well. So it's intake the kilos of intake is one thing, but the um, the quality of that kilo is also very important as well. And I suppose do, those two things do interact with each other a lot. Obviously, cows will eat more high quality products. So if, if you can manage to keep quality under control uh, and give good allowances of grass during this part of the year, uh, you will come close to meeting that requirement. But at that very high level, we're probably looking about really high quality pasture plus probably something in the region of about two to three kilos concentrate at this day of the year. And, and you know, to follow that trail of thought when you're talking about quality, naturally it is grass we're talking about as the main component of the diet, you know, and, and you know, we've a lot of grass growth at the moment on farms. And then you're saying with the high level of production, you're potentially supporting it with, um, you know, two to three kilos of supplement. Talk through the factors around grass quality and what makes it, you know, high versus maybe a midland grass quality right now? Yeah, okay. So I think the one thing we need to remember here is that when we talk about, I think sometimes we use very broad brushstrokes to describe grass. We talk about covers, let's say, of 1,400, which is a good target. Um, we talk about maybe assuming that the, that the intake of the grass is 18 kilos of intake in all, cir in all circumstances, which is just not, not reality on the ground. The big thing really, I suppose, that determines intake 
for, 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 for a cow, whether this is indoors or whether it's on, on grass. The big thing is really the fiber content in the diet, Emily's. And I think that's something we need to really focus on is that really when we talk about intake capacity in an animal, it's really dictated by the fiber content in the forage, right? So it's not, it's not strictly correct to say that the animal has a capacity for X percent of their, of their body weight as dry matter intake. Really what they have is they have, a, they have a certain capacity for fiber intake. So obviously then if you've got a very high fiber uh, grass or a high fiber diet, they're going to eat less dry matter overall because you're filling them up quicker if you like so the trick here is really to keep the fiber levels under control in grass this time of the year now look at we are in a we're coming into the stage of the year where grass is naturally trying to go into its reproductive stage trying to head out become more stemmy which is um which is effectively increasing the stem content or the fiber content so it's it's a it's a balance between trying to keep the keep leafy grass in front of the cows so for just maybe on a, a bit of detail on that like we would sort of as a rule of thumb now we would sort of say, look at cows are able to eat something around maybe one, 1.25% of their body weight as fiber. So if you take, if, you know, with your typical sort of 600 odd kilo cow, they can eat something around seven and a half kilos of fiber, right? That's their, that's their limit. So if your grass is about 40% fiber, they'll eat about 18 and a half kilos of that. If it's, um, if it's higher in fiber, if it's got a bit stemmy, um, maybe up to 45% fiber, um, you're probably talking about only getting 17 kilos of intake. So what mightn't look that different in the field, that bit of additional stem can be the difference in about a kilo and a half of dry matter at a critical time of the year. So just remember that, like really, it's, it's really about leaf content and keeping the fiber levels in the diet uh, down. Okay. And to follow on from that, Joe, looking at, you know, grass going into the reproductive stage. And I guess, you know, in some parts of the country, there are farmers talking about, you know, maybe entering drought with a lack of rainfall. And that's also contributing to the fiber content. And I, su- I suppose grass and management tools like taking out a paddock in the form of uh, bales, you know, target those paddocks that are increasing in terms of stem content. You know, rowing back a few weeks ago, Joe, a comment on farms and, and you know, a feedback from farmers would be that their their fat percentage dropped and, you know, in and around the percentage point that you'd expect for protein. You know, why is that happening on farms and what is your recommendation to lift protein to normal levels? Yeah, I suppose, yeah, that, look, this is something that happens uh, most years, Emma-Louise, that there is going to be a natural decline in fat percentage uh, around this time of the year it's really that cows are rising towards peak and we are coming into the stage where grass is beginning to take off from a growth point of view and the, the lipid content or the fat content in the in the uh, the um in the grass the oil content essentially in the grass is beginning to rise and rises quickly over a couple of weeks uh, that's the kind of a thing that we that that happens on certain farms um independent of the fiber content in the grass right so i suppose the old story was always, you know, if your fat percentage drops, I should increase the fiber in the diet. But that assumes that the fiber is already lacking in the diet. And in a lot of these herds, a lot of these cases, there isn't actually a lack of fiber in the grass at all. So I think that we just need to be a bit careful when we go down the route of maybe uh, adding in additional fiber like hay and straw and even silage into the diet. It probably won't do a whole lot for your milk fat percentage at that point of the year. Uh, all it's going to do actually is fill the cow up with low energy feed. I would say that um, more like 
making sure we're grazing covers at the tree leaf stage rather than grazing a bit too too low, uh, getting a bit more carbohydrate into the plant would be important. Uh, genetics has a massive effect on the milk solids at that point of the year as well. And those would be, and making sure obviously that we don't have too much oil in our concentrates would be another part of it. But I just think sometimes for whatever reason, uh, we have, there's a lot of farms out there have an obsession with the idea that there's not enough fiber in the grass. In most cases, pretty much all cases, the challenge in a grazing diet is to make sure that we don't let the fiber get too high. It's very, very rare that we end up with fiber being too low. The only exception to that would be something like in a drought situation or where we're stuck maybe with, with covers not meeting our demand through, through, through low grass growth, etc. I think we've gotten a fair idea now in terms of the gra- the grass side of the, the diet at the moment. But looking to the concentrate, you know, the maybe two or three kilos that farmers are feeding at the moment, what would you recommend in terms of the spec of that concentrate? Okay, so what, what do we want this concentrate to do, I suppose? We are in the situation where we, and we, we need to be clear on this, as we said, that we're, we're challenging the grass to support a high level of milk production, bringing us up to that sort of, almost the two kilo rate or the, the, the 20, 25, 26 kilograms of, of, of milk rate. So we're looking where for those few weeks where cows are maybe going a little above that, we're talking about a moderate amount of concentrate just to prop that up and also to deliver the minerals that's required, right? So what do we really want? We want something that has good levels of energy in it, uh, maybe a bit of digestible fiber and a small bit of supplementary protein as well, plus the minerals, right? So that's that's what we want our couple of kilos to do. So what does that look like in my book? It looks something like a kind of a 14% crude protein nut. Now, we shouldn't really be talking about crude protein as a measure of quality. As we know, it's more about the energy content. But, you know, we still people like to know what the crude protein level would be. So look, we talk about a sort of a crude protein uh, content of about 14%. It's a high energy ration of maybe 0.94, 0 0.95 UFLs in energy. It can be something as simple as, for example, a three-way mix of maize, maybe beet pulp and distillers, roughly three-way mix around those, plus a bit of, uh, plus the minerals included, which would include, I still think there's benefit in including maybe a bit of calcium, a bit of phosphorus, a bit of salt, obviously your CalMag as well to get enough CalMag in you know, getting your 60 grams in in, 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 um, in your two kilo feeding rate. And then obviously your trace minerals as well. So your selenium, iodine, cobalt, copper, all the trace minerals can easily be included uh, because they're, they're a very small part of the, they're a very small volume in the overall diet. Okay, so what are we really saying there? It's a kind of a 14% high energy ration. It's got, um, it's got calcium, phosphorus, salt and mag included, and it's got all your trace elements as well. Feeding that at your couple of kilos feeding rate is what we're talking about. Now, look, the reason with the, with the mag, if it's, if it's formulated for a two kilo feeding inclusion, you could feed up to four kilos of that same ration, no problem if grass growth is slow. And if, ground, if conditions are excellent and you know, weather is warm and, very, and it's with you, you could feed down to a kilo, kilo and a half of it, and you should be still okay covered for, for mag if the weather is favorable. So it's a good flexible nut or a good flexible ration that can, can work in a lot of cases if that's, if that's okay. And looking to the trace um, elements that you're talking about and the trace minerals, um, what, what minerals are deficient on farms at this time of year? And is there any evidence of it at the moment? There's a bit of talk at the moment from certain parts of the country of cows just displaying a little bit of uh, sort of depraved appetite, licking stones, pulling at plastic, licking at gates and all that kind of stuff. You do see that from time to time. 
or in and around this time of the year. And most of the time that's explained uh, by maybe a marginal deficiency in phosphorus actually. So in the conditions that's out there in a lot of farms at the moment, very dry, um, very dry conditions, and maybe um, maybe the, the, the phosphorus fertilizer is just after going out, maybe the April, the April phosphorus application is out, but maybe the uptake of that hasn't been huge uh, just yet. So the plant that's sitting there now, or the grass that's sitting there, might be slightly low in, in phosphorus in the short term. So if you're seeing that kind of cows licking stones and all that kind of stuff, it's probably a phosphorus issue and probably should be addressed with supplementation. So look, at your, op- your options obviously are ensure there's an adequate phosphorus in the concentrate is one, um, but that mightn't be doable if you've already, the bin is, is full already. You might want to do something quicker in the short term. Your other options are high phosphorus mineral blocks, for example. You could place those in, in the fields. Like I've seen a couple of lads doing that maybe with maybe an IBC, you know, like a, a cube cut in two with, with some blocks thrown into it and the cows can have free access to that during the day. Um, in the in the paddock that works quite well or you could add your phosphorus as liquid phosphorus to the to the water either so there's a few options there i think if you're seeing those issues you know add a add a, add a supplementary phosphorus source pick one and go with it don't add in a whole heap of phosphorus but pick one and go with it and i, I think the symptoms of, of phosphorus deficiency should should probably disappear within a week i suppose that would be the first that would be the first thing that that's one of the major minerals obviously on the on the trace element side, look, uh, probably iodine is something that needs to be supplemented throughout, the, certainly through the breeding season. Um, you know, animals don't really store iodine as such, so it needs to be supplemented um, pretty much daily. So getting, getting a, an iodine inclusion, again, in the concentrate or in, 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 the, in the bolus or in the water would be the way to go. But again, particularly with iodine, we don't want people over-supplementing iodine. So find get 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 meet the animal's requirements using a single source and don't go putting it in in the concentrate and also putting it in in the water pick one and go with it but make sure your animals are covered for the for iodine in particular at this time of the year so the, look to me the simplest way is really a decent trace element pack within your within your couple of kilos of concentrate and you're covered from minerals then and that's job that's job done really during our conversation, Joe, you have documented the, I suppose, the current production, um, what energy and, and, and feed is demanded to support that production. You know, in a spring calving system, by and large, it's a one size fits all. And, you know, we're we're feeding the average. Is there a case on, you know, on farms at this time of year, you know, to look at that 10 or 20 percent that have an, a higher production and, and maybe feeding and targeting the feed requirements for that animal versus the average? That's a good question. I suppose we do talk of the average loss for sure. Uh, but I suppose what we never, we, what we never, we always get to see what the, what the range in milk yield is because of recording, etc. But in a grazing system, I suppose it's very difficult to see the difference in, in intake as well. That there's, there's also a range in, in feed intake or grass intake, uh, within the herd amyloise that probably mirrors the difference in, in, in milk production, actually. So when um, I was just chatting with, with Brian McCarthy and Moorpark about this uh, recently, and we looked at, we had a quick look at some of the, um, we had a quick look at some of, of, the, of the intake data where they measure individual cow intakes in a pasture setting. And look, for, for an average of 18 kilos in May, in a lot of the data that, that, that we were looking at through, there was, there was probably 10% of the herd uh, eaten over 21 kilos of dry matter 
of grass and then you have the supplement on top of that again. So some of the higher yielding cows in the herd on a grass system with a couple of kilos of meal are probably approaching 23, 24 kilos dry matter intake, which would support the level of production that we're talking about. So while, while it's very obvious that there's a range in milk production, we also have to remember there's a range in, um, in, in grass intake within the herd as well. And that's, you know, we can't assume that every single cow in the herd is eating 18 kilos. They're eating that on average. So there is a, there is a, we have to bear that in mind. But look, on that specific question of, the, of you know, re maybe rewarding or chasing the higher yielders with, with additional concentrate, we did a bit of work on that a few years ago in Johnstown with spring calving herd, where we fed, basically we fed to yield um, versus flat rate feeding across the course of the season right uh, and what we saw in a nutshell on, on, on that system but when we fed to yield so basically we said okay we're going to feed the level of concentrate that matches what the cows what our production our individual production is for the previous week if you get me so we're saying we want 25 kilos of milk from our grass and then everything above that we're going to feed additional concentrate to um we're going to feed additional concentrate to basically at a rate of about a half a kilo of concentrate per kilo of milk produced. So in that system, the cows could have been eating anything from one kilo to nearly 10 kilos of concentrate versus a system where they were all fed the same. Okay, and in, in that situation, what did we see? We basically saw that the peak production when we fed the yield did go higher. Like we probably got about four kilos of milk per cow per day, additional milk at peak. So we went from produced about 30 kilos at peak to about 34 kilos at peak. It cost us about three kilos of additional concentrate per day to do that. And the difference in peak and the difference in production lasted for about, it lasted for about two, two and a half months, right? So we ended up, when we added it all up, we ended up about, four, about 500 liters or 500 kilos of milk ahead by feeding to yield. We, we ended up feeding about 400 kilos of concentrate additional in order to get that. So look, Really what we're saying is there, um, when we fed to yield, we drove a higher peak production. Um, it was all driven on additional concentrate. The, the marginal rate on the concentrate was actually quite good. But if we tried to push that response by feeding the lower yielders as well, we probably wouldn't have got as good a response. So just feeding an additional kilos across the herd probably wouldn't have given us the same effect, if you know what I mean. A couple of other points on that. Um, first of all, there's a capital cost in, in having to go feeding to yield uh, and the capital cost of the system, the computer, the meters, that has to be taken into account. Uh, so the marginal response has to pay for that too. So it's not all profit. The second thing to remember is that even though we got a very high peak or we got a, much, a higher peak on that system, by the time we got out into July and August, the two herds were, were actually producing the same level of daily production. So the high peak didn't drive a higher persistency across the year. And the third point, the final point, I suppose, is that from a fertility point of view, feeding the additional concentrate during the breeding season did not improve the fertility on the herd. It probably meant actually that a few of the very high yield in the herd, some of the, sorry, some of the very highest yielded cows in the herd struggled a bit actually with conception rate. You know, these were cows that were maybe producing 50 kilos of milk on eight or nine kilos of concentrate. Um, it was more difficult actually to put some of those in calf. So no real fertility benefit to, it, to the additional concentrate at peak. And then a final question for you, Joe, and I guess in, in some ways it, it links to what you're talking about there in terms of the step down from peak in, in that experiment. But I suppose a good rule of thumb you've given us is to multiply your 
your peak um, by in and around the 230 mark. Um, but looking at moving off peak now and, and we're entering that phase, what sort of a step down or a decline do we expect maybe on a weekly or a, a monthly basis in terms of milk yield or milk solids yield? Yeah, okay. So um, over the next, okay, so when we hit peak and we try to hold that peak, where, where, how far will it drop or how quickly? I suppose, look, ideally if we could hold the drop to sort of, something like 2% per week or sort of 8% in the month, that would be very good, Emily. So if you take whatever you're producing, whatever you're producing this month, you know, basically what 8% of that, that's where you'd take 8% off that. And that's what you're left with. That's where you should be um, next month and similar next month, 8% again, if you held, if the drop was kind of 2% per week um, would be, would be very good if you could hold it at that definitely no more than sort of 10% drop on a monthly basis. So that, that's roughly what we would be, what we would be talking about. Now, look, um, again, when you look at some of the, the, the data from, um, and it's, 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 it's an effect, I suppose, that we hadn't really talked about that much around from the Clover system. If you look at the Clover system, again, back to some of, some of Mike, and, Mike Egan and, and Brian McCarthy's work on the Clover systems, that you look and you see, that actually post-peak, the, the systems that have very high digestibility forage, so maybe higher levels of clover in this case, this is what caused it, the, the systems that had very high level of pasture quality right through sort of June, July and August, they did not drop to the same extent. So the persistency of lactation is really dictated by the quality of pasture through the mid-season. That's what determines how fast it will fall. And we often see this in, at commercial farm level that people will drive peak milk production by additional concentrate in the early part of the season. And then as they move into July, maybe June, July and August, if grass quality is not good enough, even though they got the cows to a high peak, they will not get the persistency because of pasture quality. So it's very important to remember that driving a high peak through, con through additional concentrate does not guarantee a good yield for the rest of the season. What really guarantees persistency is the quality of, of diet through the second half of the, of the year, really. That's the, that's the main point. And just one final thing on that. It's something that came up quite a lot, actually, in, after 2018, when we heard it a lot, actually, after 2018, where a lot of farmers were saying to us, you know, we got a very good back end of milk production in 2018. And a lot of lads were saying, look, that's because we fed the cows very well through May, June, and July. That was the that was what was given the that was given the credit, if you like, for the additional uh, production in the back end of the year. I would argue, actually, that probably in 2018, what happened was because we had such a severe drought, everybody grazed the farm to the boards basically. So there was no issue with grass quality for the second half of the year because everybody skinned the farm to its to completely so when we came back into july and august and we had a recovery in grass growth we were facing with very good quality pasture through the rest of the year and that's what delivered the extra milk in the second half of 2018 not driving a high peak through concentrate in the first part of the year and i suppose look the key point there joe and and, and you know you you've said it once or twice already during during the um the interview is just to keep your eye on the ball and follow the the grassland management targets um, throughout the year. 
um, I think, look, Joe, we've had a really, really good discussion today and, you know, a lot of insight into the nutrition side of grassland and also maybe the supplement that we're putting in um, to support the cow's diets and, and how we can, you know, maintain that peak and the persistency of peak that you speak about. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. Thanks very much. That's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast. And my thanks to Joe Patton for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.